1: Are you a Stuff to Blow Your Mind fan? Are you a New Yorker? Do you plan to attend this year's New York Comic Con? If so, then you've got to check out our exclusive live show, NYCC Presents Stuff to Blow Your Mind Live Stranger Science. Join all three of us as we record a live podcast about the exciting science and tantalizing pseudoscience underlying the hit Netflix show Stranger Things. It all goes down Friday, October 6th from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. at the Hudson Mercantile in Manhattan. Stuff You Missed in History Class has a show right before us, so you can really double down. Learn more and buy your tickets today at NewYorkComicCon.com slash NYCC presents.
2: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb, and I am Christian Sager. Christian, I have a question for you. I know that uh, that you also uh, consume a lot of uh, fictional media that has, uh, you know, d- different crazy fight scenes, crazy weapons. What is the the most appealing yet uh, seemingly unrealistic weapon you've encountered before in your uh, in your your reading and your viewing? Oh,
3: I can answer this very easily, because it's it was a movie that was super influential on me. It's actually a series of movies. The Umbrella. Huh. Because, uh um, you know, I talked about this on the show before, because I grew up overseas. I ended up watching a lot of wuxia, uh, uh-huh. kind of kung fu movies when I was a kid. And uh, there's a series uh, that Jet Li was in, in the early 90s, late 80s, mm-hmm. called Once Upon a Time in China. And he plays this legendary Chinese uh, character. who I think he's a real person, but it's also... Ostensibly argued that these movies are like history revisionist. Right. Anyways, this guy fights with an umbrella. Uh-huh. Like that's his like, weapon like of choice. Penguin shorts. style. Uh-huh. He 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 uses the umbrella as like a defensive thing against swords and other stuff like that. But mm-hmm. then he will also like occasionally open it up and like spin it to kind of like distract his enemies ah. while he does like backflips and stuff. I I love those movies so much that I actually got artist Kagan McLeod to do uh, a commission for me <laughs> of. Of this character uh, that Jet Li played huh. with the umbrella and everything.
1: Well, you know, a, an example that comes to my mind is another weapon that shows up in Hong Kong action films, and that's the the flying guillotine.
3: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah which that's is,
1: totally in these as well. Yeah. yeah, which is kind of like if you haven't, you really need to look up a clip of it to know what I'm talking about. But it's essentially kind of a bladed ring that's also made into a hat and it's attached to a string yeah. and you kinda of zip it around the room and try and make it land on your opponent's head and mm-hmm. then you pull a you pull the string to decapitate it. Yeah,
3: it's like the, the I don't know if there's any realism to that weapon at all, but it's like uh the vorpal uh, ring right because like, yeah. you just instantly kill these people if it works the way it's supposed to.
1: Right, I think it's pretty it's it's pretty clearly established. That it's just a like a folkloric weapon yeah, and yeah. a weapon of fiction because it's just far too
3: elaborate and specialized to to really be all that that useful in a fight. Yeah, but there is a weapon that is very close to that actually, and a lot of people will recognize this weapon from. Oh, an odd source, you would think, coming from us. Well, I don't know. I guess I watched a few episodes of this back in the day, but Xena Warrior Princess.
1: Yes. Yeah. Z- Xena Warrior Princess. which was itself a spinoff of what? Hercules, The Legendary Journeys? Is I that think? right? I never yeah. knew
3: that. I always thought of Xena as being, uh, bigger than that show. Well, maybe she maybe became maybe... bigger. Yeah. yeah because.
1: I mean Hercules, I think was fun for the time, but yeah. Xena became a true pop culture icon, you know? oh, absolutely yeah. Uh, yeah you know the strong female character and she's uh she's engaging in all of these these battles where she's on equal footing or even you know superior footing uh, against any adversary that dares oppose her, yeah, and she fought with a sword, but she also had this really cool um sort of halo-shaped, ring-shaped, bladed weapon called a chakram.
3: Yeah, yeah. And in fact, it's completely based in life and is a real thing. And we did our best to dig up as much research on this as we could because we thought, this is such a bizarre... Weapon, you watch it in the, in it shows like that, right? And she yeah. throws it around a room like Captain America throws a shield and it like kills like five people in one throw, right? Yeah, and just then completely bounces
1: back. unrealistic physics yeah. and, and, and a level of expertise with the weapon that just goes beyond what is humanly possible. Right. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you, you watch something like that and you think, well, this is, this is just Pure fantasy, but there is this actual weapon that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about it in terms of a little bit of mythology, uh, some uh, military history, and then some aerodynamics. But you have this the chakram or chakar, and it is, uh, or sometimes just referred to as a a chakra, and it is a razor sharp ring of metal designed to sail through the air and uh, deliver spinning.
3: death or at least, you know, laceration or mutilation to your adversaries. Yeah, it's... So, I wish we could, uh, like, put some JPEGs up for you all right now mm-hmm. uh, to try to give you a visual understanding if you haven't seen one of these before. But it's more like a halo than a disc, right? Mm-hmm. And we'll give you some pop culture examples other than Xena, if you're unfamiliar with that, that maybe will help cement this for you. But it's essentially a death aerobie. Like, if you're yeah. familiar with the aerobie, the, yeah. the,
1: the, the frisbee that has the center cut out of the middle, <laughs> yeah. that's what we're talking about. Imagine one of those but
3: sharp on the outside. And there are a couple different forms. So there was the Chakar Sada, and that is the version that was smooth and had a sharp outer layer, like on its edge. But There was also the Chakar Kadavdar, and that had a serrated outer edge. And actually, in some of the videos that we watched for this, I noticed that there were a few people who had the serrated ones. Mm-hmm. In particular, there was a video I watched of, like, there's an actual... Um, Sikh weapons master who still yes. practices the same martial arts forms mm-hmm. and he was demonstrating how you use these and he had the serrated ones. Yeah, the, the,
1: the serrated one also has I think more of a tie in with, uh, with, with Hindu mythology as we'll discuss. But before we get into that, let, let's talk a little bit more about pop culture. Um, yeah, this seems to be a largely underutilized weapon in fiction,
3: which is yeah. crazy considering how fantastic it, it is. I think other than Xena, probably the most recognized version that people would know it from is is Tron. Yeah, in, the second in, one, Tron yeah. Legacy. Yeah, not which not that many people actually went and saw. Uh, but but so yeah, if you remember in the, in Tron movies, they had the discs that they threw around, and the discs also like had like what like the information of their personalities on them or yeah, something? yeah,
1: were identity discs. Yeah, uh,
3: or I think sometimes referred to as the discs of Tron, as in the uh, the old video game. But in Legacy, they would have these like battles where they would like yeah. each two people would face off with these things they'd throw them around a room they'd bounce off walls and like eventually strike each other right yeah
1: because it was essentially the internet right you're just heaving yeah. your identity at other people until somebody perishes uh, yeah <laughs> but, but yeah in the first film it was more of a frisbee and in the second film it was more of an aerobi or
3: essentially a chakra yeah yeah exactly so there's a couple other examples we have here mainly from video games it seems
1: yeah so one key example there is uh, the, the hat that uh, the, the Mortal Kombat character Kung Lao wears, right? And it uh, it's a hat, but it is essentially a chakram, a chakram that's just kind of been perverted into a hat, I guess. And then he, this character has a son in MKX, the, uh, the, the most recent, uh, uh, Mortal Kombat entry. Okay. And, uh, this, uh, this character whose name is Kong Jin, he, uh, uses, uh, this is one of his weapons, but it's not his signature weapon, so it's not like his character defining weapon at all. It's like
3: all. a special thing, like if you hit buttons in the right order, he'll whip one of these out and throw it Yeah, across yeah, it's just room.
1: one of his many special attacks. Okay. So, I, I feel like
3: there's, there was more potential there, Mortal yeah. Kombat, to, yeah. to really, Claim the I wonder if Xena just, like, dominated the the chakra market, you know? <laughs> like, I guess so, In yeah. the way that Wonder Woman... I mean, there aren't a lot of lassos with characters either, you know? That's true, you yeah. know?
1: It's kind of like cowboys came and owned it, and so anyone... And, of course, Wonder Woman, so everyone feels like if they have a lasso, they're just going to echo cowboy movies or Wonder Woman. Yeah, but
3: there is a fascinating... Uh, physics to this weapon too, and I think it's it's actually really interesting when you see it in video game format too, because they have to sort of consider how the physics of the real world, like the math of the real world of throwing essentially a frisbee with blades yeah. at somebody, <laughs> would work in well, these three dimensional
1: spaces. It's also as as we'll, as we'll discuss when we get into the actual military history of the of the weapon. There's also a hula hoop element to it. Yeah. So I would be remiss if I didn't point out that the, the 2005 fighting game Soul Calibur 3 featured a female fighter named Tira who, uh, kind of dresses like a Cirque du Soleil performer. Okay. And she has a hoop-shaped weapon, uh, that she uses and it, it basically looks like a big hula hoop with blades and she uses it <laughs> like that. So it's kind of like an oversized, yeah. uh, chakram, but she's, she's sort of employing it in ways that are,
3: reminiscent of uh, the actual use of this weapon. So the 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 wearing of these is actually based in fact. So mm-hmm. uh it, some of the ways that it was used was uh they were either worn over turbans or they were sometimes worn around the neck. Or uh, a warrior would put, like, you know, four or six of these across, like, their shoulder or something like that so they could carry them into battle and have a, b- a bunch of them.
1: Yeah, they're ready to go because they're, they're you know, around your limbs. Right. Now, of course, it's uh, important to note here that there are other hoop-shaped weapons or circular weapons uh, in, in various cultures, but... They, they they don't necessarily spin. Now there's some variations of the shuriken or uh, throwing star. Uh, you'll find some varieties that have a kind of mini chakram appearance. Oh, okay. And likewise uh, in uh, Chinese martial art, there's the uh, feng hu o lun, which is uh, the this is known as the, the wind and fire wheels. And these are circular in uh, in shape, but they're kind of but they don't spin. You just kind of grip
3: them. They're like. Giant, oversized, circular, bladed brass knuckles. Okay, and you asked me if there there was any superhero comic book examples. I couldn't think of any off the top of my head. I dug a little bit, and the only thing I could find was Stan Lee created. Stan Lee, in the last like twenty years, has just created a ton of characters so that like different companies can say like Stan Lee created such and such, and they do like four issues or whatever, and that's it. So he created this character that's like an Indian superhero named Chakra mm-hmm. um and he appears to have I don't think he wields these things but he has like the symbolism of the chakram like in his costume and like in his his powers like circles with sort of ah, edges to them and
1: stuff okay. like that. Well that's probably a good uh, jumping off point to begin to get into the the, the sort of mythological power of uh, the chakram and its use as a mythological weapon, because like like anything in uh, that you know goes deep into Hindu mythology, like the the thing becomes a symbol and the symbol becomes an, uh, you know another entity entirely. And yeah. It kind of expands outward.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So it's first mentioned in the ancient Hindu text, the Rig Veda. And in that, it's described as glowing. So these are like glowing halos that are thrown. Yeah, the, and I think sometimes there's a flaming element to it oh, as well. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. And then Vishnu, the you know famous figure, uh, he had one, a chakram that was named... Sudarshan Chakra, and this means vision of that which is auspicious to do movement. So the weapon itself symbolized clearing of the path of God. Like there is a, there's a strong religious symbolism to this weapon in the circular nature of it. Yeah, also referred to as the, the
1: Sudarshana Chakra, and uh, it's said to have 108 serrated edges around it.
3: Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. And so, and that,
1: one, one hundred oh and eight is an important number. That right? that is a sacred number in yeah. uh, in a few different Eastern traditions. Yes. Now he. It's worth noting that the villain uh, Ravana, who uh, kidnaps Sita in the Ramayana, this guy has a boon against the weapon's power, so it's ineffective against him. But uh, okay. Vishnu uses the his chakra to decapitate a number of different adversaries. So there's uh, Rahu, the 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 uh, The ashra that becomes the entity of the eclipse. Okay. He uses it against the uh, Kashmiri king Damodara, and against the water demon uh, Jalodbhava And uh, I found a a real fun account of this slaying of the water demon, in which it said that the uh, uh, Sudarshana Chakra quote was so drunk on uh, Jalababda's uh, blood that he had totally lost control over his senses and was wandering in all three worlds without knowing what he was doing. The he here being the weapon itself. The weapon itself, itself yeah. Because it's interesting when you start looking at uh, – at, at Interpretations of this of this weapon, this, and it's worth noting that it is a wonder weapon. It is an it is one of the ostras, which are these these varying just think like legendary sentient weapons from Dungeons and Dragons. Right. So that's what yeah. you have here. Yeah, uh, so it's, it's one like of,
3: the One Ring,
1: but yeah, like yeah, much bigger, and you throw it. Yeah, you have a god show up, and the god uh, in many cases will have this sacred weapon, yeah. and sometimes mortals get to interact with them to varying degrees. But then in the case of uh, Vishnu's weapon, it becomes an entity, becomes anthropomorphized and becomes, uh, essentially it takes human form.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm also thinking you just mentioned that it was connected to a god that is a god of the eclipse. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking like the way that the eclipse can look has a ring formation to it as well, or a halo, obviously. So that seems to make sense Symbolism. Yeah, you can see why this would explode
1: through, throughout uh, a, a culture's uh, symbolism and their religious iconography because I mean circles are so key to to most. Uh, yeah. Religious uh, traditions.
3: I'm surprised with the recent uh, solar eclipse that more people didn't get into chakrams. Instead, everybody's got these like cheap sunglasses left over now.
1: Yeah, where was a aerobi? At least should have uh, right. jumped in and <laughs> said, "Hey, aerobi, we're the tra- we're the we're the official um, you know recreational item of the eclipse." <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. It's easy to to you know to look at the the, the myth here and uh, and say, "Okay, well, this is." Um, this is clearly just an, a, an elaborate, crazy weapon that a, a Hindu god uses, and then Xena warrior princess uses it. But surely nobody is, is spinning around a, a mini hula hoop of death and using it against their adversaries in realistic combat. Because right. when you look at, at weaponry across human culture, you do tend to see recurring motifs, right? Like and and granted, there there are many varieties and, and variations that take place, but still, like people are are killing each other with swords. They're right. using spears. They're using clubs. They're they're slinging arrows at each other. Uh, so it's it's kind of easy to just on the surface of things think that any weapon that elaborates beyond those basic forms is just something that someone dreamed up because it was fun.
3: Yeah, yeah, I. I think it's important to point out here, too, that the chakram, at least the way that it was demonstrated in the research that we looked at, can be thrown in two ways. It can be thrown like a Frisbee, obviously. Mm -hmm. But ideally, the way you want to throw it is by spinning it around on your index finger with your finger in the center of the halo because that's the part that's not sharp. And if you're doing it right, you can let it whip the way you would with like an Mm aerobie, and it will go far, quiet, and – in a straight line and they, the demonstrations I saw of this thing, like it is designed to cut through a human limb. Like yeah. they if to quote, um, uh... Daft Punk or to to, miss it to, to uh, alter their quote uh, if you're doing it right everybody will be bleeding ah yeah. Yeah, very nice very nice yeah I mean one of the demonstrations I saw of this was they um, they looked at uh, thick bamboo as being analogous to a human limb and then they tested them against the bamboo and it cut right through uh, yes I saw some
1: demonstrations with sugar cane uh, with the idea being that sugar cane had the thick had basically the thickness of human bone mm. and therefore if it would uh, if it would cut through that then it was uh, up
3: to snuff. Ugh, yeah, I can't imagine getting hit with one of these things.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, l- let's take a quick break. And when yeah. we come back, we will uh, we'll get more in depth about the military history of the chakra. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. All right, we're back. So, as as we've already discussed, we know that the use of chakrams uh, probably dates back to uh, you know the time of the Hindu epic uh, Mahabharata, uh, because uh, we we see we read accounts of its use there. Uh, now, at times, there's some fantasy in its description,
3: like maybe it's returning like a boomerang, uh, and and that does not seem to be the case with right. the chakram. As far as we know, the physics of that are not designed for it. Right. You know, the same way again, like. It, good luck throwing Captain America's shield and getting it to bounce back and come to you. Yes, and good luck catching a chakram. Yes. Uh, oh, right, yeah. yeah. Nobody wants to catch a chakram. Yeah, uh,
1: but uh, but but we know that it was used in in Vedic India, and we know this because it uh, it became one of the primary shastars or weapons of the Gatka.
3: Which is the Sikh martial art, okay, yeah, and that's what I saw demonstrated in these videos with the the martial artists who specialized in that form.
1: yeah, the the Sikhs really became the. Um I guess the masters and the stewards of the chakram, even into
3: modern day. Let's actually let's take a quick tangent and explain Sikhism, if just in case there are people in the audience who are vaguely aware of it but don't really understand. You know why why would why would this religion have its own martial art, for instance?
1: Yeah, I think this is a great excuse to discuss Sikhism a little bit because Sikhism is a is a major world religion that uh, is really, I think, under. Represented and often misunderstood. Yeah, uh, people will will see Sikhs because there's a, there are a lot of Sikhs living internationally and not just in uh, the you know the, the Punjab region of India, and uh, and and sometimes they are. Confused with uh, with with Muslims or with uh, with uh, with or people think that they are Hindu or or Buddhist mm-hmm. and they don't really understand what what
3: Sikhism is. Yeah, absolutely. So again, like I grew up in Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. a, a couple of the kids who went to our school were Sikh. Some of our teachers were Sikh, uh, and then also like living in the Northeast, there was a big Sikh community around the Boston area, and I remember right after nine eleven, there was a lot of like. Consternation, because essentially people who didn't know any better assumed Sikhs were, for some reason, Muslim. I guess because they had beards and beards, wore turbans, and wore a turban, yeah. and so there was like violence against the Sikh community. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so just to just to
1: lay out the basics, uh, Sikhism is a monotheistic ethno religion that follows the teachings of Guru Nanak. Uh, this was a and, and Sikhism emerged in the Punjab region of northwestern India during the 16th century. And uh, it's most notable to outsiders because uh, Sikh men carry a ceremonial sword or dagger uh, that is uh, called a kirpan. Uh, but the 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 chakram also factors into their tradition. Sometimes worn uh, in in their turban or around the turban or
3: in the past on a on a conical turban. Yeah, the warriors had specific turbans that they would wear in conjunction with the chakrams that were more cone-like.
1: Yeah. Now the kirpan, the wearing of the, uh, of, the of the dagger, or the sword—that's one of the what's called the five Ks. Uh, each of these are, is, is, are a practice, a tradition that is symbolic of the Sikh faith, each in its own right. So you have kesh, which is uncut hair; kara, a steel bracelet; kanga, a wooden comb; uh, kacha, which is uh, uh, which is essentially a special form of uh, cotton. Uh, uh, undergarment. Okay. And then there is the the kirpan, the the steel sword or dagger. Okay. Now the sword itself, uh, the wearing of the weapon can stand for a number of different things, spirituality, the uh, the soldier part of soldier saints, defense of good, defense of the weak, the struggle against injustice or a metaphor for god. Now this in Sikh faith, we're not going to have time to really do a deep dive on it here, but it basically centers around good works and the leading of a moral life. And there were 10 gurus in all, uh, beginning with that that first guru, Guru Nanak, who founded it. And then uh, you had the final guru, Guru Gobind Singh, who lived 1666 through 1708. And he decreed that after he died, the Sikh holy book, the Guru Granath Sahib, would serve as his
3: successor instead of a human being. Interesting. That's very interesting, especially yeah. like in light of other religions and sort of – Uh, you know vies for power Game of Thrones (laughs) over over religious power I guess what I really find interesting about this and especially what you were just saying about the sword is the cultural symbolism here right because both the sword and the chakram have symbolic meaning that's related to their religion right Mm -hmm. and uh, it's you know, you see this in, in some western forms, but usually in depictions, right? So like yeah. a coat of arms or something will be the shape of a shield and it might have a sword in it. But the actual shield and the sword may not actually be symbols related to Christianity, right? Right. Whereas in this, their weapons, I'm not going to say that their weapons were specifically designed to be symbols, but rather the other way around. They found out ways for them to symbolically be connected to their beliefs, which made them even more important. Yeah, in fact, the the key um, Sikh uh, icon has
1: uh, does have a chakram in right. it uh, along with blades. Uh, yeah, I, I do want to say that if you want to learn more about, uh, about Sikhism and, and the Sikhs, I highly recommend the BBC religion page on the topic. And uh, it's you can basically do it by doing a search for BBC religion Sikhism, and this page will come up for you. But it's uh, it's in-depth, and it's uh, laid out in a very uh, consumable fashion. Okay. All right, so l- let's not miss the, the point, though, that uh, the Chakram was a weapon. It was deployed in battle, and the Sikhs used it in battle uh, for a, a large portion of their history. So they had the, they would go into battle with these, these iron rings. Typically they were about 20 centimeters in diameter. Okay. Uh, and again, they'd have that sharp outer edge, blunt inner edge. And uh, a, a warrior would uh, go in with, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, with a uh, shock around his neck, around his arms, and then uh, could throw it like a frisbee, but most likely would spin it around a finger and then sail it into the enemy. In particular, uh, historical accounts indicate that the Sikhs used these weapons in combat against the Mughals and uh, typically in volley fire at a range of a few dozen meters. Uh, so that the, the Sikh warriors, uh, known as the, the Nahang would fling the weapons in, in into the enemy's front lines in order to break up the troops. So you wouldn't be necessarily sending this at a single person, right. but you're just volleying them into a mass of troops in order to break them up.
3: Yeah, it doesn't seem to me like there is, you know, obviously, if anybody's played Frisbee before, especially something like Ultimate Frisbee, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's not... That predictable as to where the disc is going right. to go, right? Well, but you do have more precision over the aerobi style and yeah. therefore the chakram style. That's weapon. true. Um, now, to give you some dates to sort of ground this, so you have an understanding of when this was used, the the mogul fighting that Robert just mentioned that was. Sikhs fighting against persecution during that period and that was fifteen fifty six to seventeen o seven and then it was used again during the anglo Sikh wars which were eighteen forty five to eighteen forty six and then again from eighteen forty eight to eighteen forty nine so that's our most recent example that nineteenth century form of it now one of the uh, one
1: of the videos we're looking at uh, is research for this uh, because it's 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 hard to find a lot of like hardcore uh, uh, material on the chakra. I did find a uh, an excellent source on um, on the practices of Sikhism, the Oxford Handbook of Sikh Studies. That was really helpful. As well as uh, as we, when we get into more of the aerodynamics, I found a book uh, titled "Spinning Flight: Dynamics of Frisbees, Boomerangs, um, uh, Samaras, and Skipping Stones" okay. by Ralph D. Lorenz. But we also looked to some of these videos that feature Sikhs demonstrating their martial art. Yeah, and one of the the points they made is that so many uh, weapons that are thrown or fired any kind of ranged weapon there's only one point or one part of the weapon that can injure the opponent yeah so if it's, it's like throwing an axe right yeah if you get the revolution right yeah it's going to sink in otherwise it's going a less effective portion of the axe may strike the enemy yeah but for the chakram, all, all, all p- portions of the of the blade uh, in flight are going to do damage to whatever hits, uh, uh, comes in contact with it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. The example uh, I recall them using was using a throwing knife versus using a chakram. Yeah. If you throw a knife, you could hit somebody with a handle, and it might not really do all that much damage. If you hit them with a chakram, no matter where it lands, it's going to hurt. Yeah. And as you mentioned, so the symbolism, again, is still important. In fact, today the Sikh holy flag that flies outside of their places of worship, Portrays the Kanda, and this is a symbol of the Sikhs that features a chakram in its design. And again, getting back to that circular thing, it's a circle without a beginning or an end, so it makes a perfect iconic symbol for the perfection of an eternal God. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to
1: discuss some of the aerodynamics of the chakram and the and the uh, aerobi, and uh, and see what what science has to say about this uh, this alleged wonder weapon.
0: All right, we're back.
3: So I just last week, and this isn't related to us choosing this (laughs) as a topic, got a toy for my dogs to play with in the yard. And, you know, dogs love Frisbees, right? Right. So I went to the pet store and they had this thing that now I realize is essentially a chakram. Uh, It's this like plastic, sort of an aerobie, not plastic, rubber Um, but it has a halo interior so you can spin it around on your finger, but it's especially great because the dogs like to catch it and then like hold it in the inside of Uh their mouth that, that ring. Um, and I didn't realize like, you know, throwing it around actually like it's advertised on the packaging and everything. And it says like, Oh, this is, this is especially developed so that it flies very easily for dogs. And it's got like this. Unlike the shock room or most frisbees, it has a kind of like a wobbly pattern to it on purpose. Uh And I think it's just for like people like me who aren't that great at throwing frisbees and it sort of naturally uh, adjusts the aerodynamics for you. So it goes in more of a straight line than it would. Oh, man, this is just making me
1: imagine all of these dogs out there that are being tra- essentially trained to intercept chakrams in mid-flight. Oh, God. I mean, luckily, there <laughs> aren't a true. lot of chakrams <laughs> flying around out there, but uh, – I Oh, I, 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 can just imagine it and it's not, yeah. p- not pretty. Well, good. hey,
3: remember our episode on, uh, using animals as weapons and when they used to, uh, this, as recently as, uh, the last century, they would strap bombs to dogs' backs and have them climb under tanks and essentially stand up and, and self-detonate. Huh. You know, so it, I wouldn't be that surprised if the shock room came back into style if they started training dogs to be, that, that would be awful. That's like the <laughs> worst, like most graphic thing I can probably imagine is a, because, you know, I'm a dog lover. Well, man, yeah. like
1: if aliens attack tomorrow
3: and they yeah. used uh, disc or chakra-based weapons, yeah. the
1: dogs would just jump out there and and unwittingly sacrifice them, themselves. I mean, what if the That's Predator true. showed? The
3: Predator does have a disc weapon, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's a good thing that dogs never get uploaded into the Tron universe. <laughs> So, she went on your identity rings. So. <laughs> so, but if we're going to bring it back into the real world, the flying disc obviously dates back to the chakram, but it was actually popularized by the Whammo company in 1957 with their trademark frisbee. Now, Alan Adler then designed the Arobi long distance throwing ring specifically after the chakram and his added Airfoiling technology, as it's called. Uh basically it's added to the rubber and the plastic that are in these rings, allows them to go up to two hundred and fifty meters. Most of us are familiar with these. Yeah, I mean it's it's worth pointing out that uh the air the Aerobi Pro
1: in particular has held two Guinness World Records for the longest throw of an object without any velocity aiding feature.
3: Oh wow. Yeah. Have you ever played Frisbee golf before? I have not. It's, uh, my, my brother's really into it and so yeah. I've gone occasionally to a couple of frisbee golf courses and you know, like in golf there's different types of frisbees in the same way there's different types of clubs and I think Listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there might be one of the frisbees that is uh is like a chakram that has a, a halo interior. So you're to it. permitted to use a chakram in like ultimate frisbee or frisbee golf. I don't know about ultimate frisbee, uh-huh. but I think because in frisbee golf, essentially your goal is you try to throw the frisbee so that it lands inside a basket that's like your version of the golf hole. Yeah. I think one of the key things here to, to keep in
1: mind in the the aerobi versus frisbee uh, debate, if you will, is yeah. that there's basically no debate. The aerobi <laughs> the or chakram design is aerodynamically superior, and that's one yeah. of the beauties of it's this: true. is that, uh, that that in ancient India they they perfected this form.
3: Yeah, long long before anyone was interested in just throwing them around. For long fine. before they had rubber available to them. Yeah. Right. Um, so how did the physics of this whole thing work, right? You're probably saying, hey, this is a science podcast. Are you guys going to actually talk about the science of this thing? Yes, we will. Yeah. Here it is. So if you think of it this way, a flying disc is an axisymmetric wing, okay? So it's one wing that's symmetrical with an elliptical cross-section. And the lift of the body is what's important here, right? There's a lot of math involved in this in the physics behind it. And I don't think it, it, it would probably not be fun to listen on a podcast. To me, just to spell out equations for you. Uh-huh. So I'm going to deter from that. But what determines the lift is the cross-sectional area working together with the disk's density. So this is its free-stream velocity and a constant of its shape and its angle. Okay. Now we. All Anybody who's thrown a Frisbee basically understands this, right? Like how heavy the thing is, how dense the thing is versus like the angle that you throw it at and then probably like what the the conditions are in the air, right? So how does it stay stable? Well, the center of pressure due to the lift is offset by gravity. So gravity is obviously another function here. So if you just simply threw it, right, imagine – and we've all done this as little kids, you take a Frisbee and you don't even try to throw it like the way uh, that a disc would go. You just like huck it and the lift causes it to flip over backwards. When you do something like that, the spin itself of the disc is key to keeping the gyroscopic stability and speed of these things. And this is something that the warriors who used the chakram figured out. Now the mass of the disc is also going to affect this as well, right? We were talking about density before, but also just its mass. A greater inertia will also increase its stability. So the harder you throw it, essentially, right? The 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 more stable it could potentially be. Now, in the case of the Frisbee, the disc having a – what is called a viscous no-slip condition – also contributes to the vorticity, right? The, the, the way that it spins. So part of the whole like rubber design, uh, is, is built into that to, to contribute to that. When you look at the chakram, I think it's pretty similar, right? Like I was watching one of those, um, man at arms reforged videos where uh-huh. they like actually made Xena's chakram and they were test throwing them. But while they were forging them, they were making sure that, uh, that it was as flat as possible, as smooth as possible. They spent a lot of time on a grinder making sure that the shape uh, worked well so that it would be it would throw and have this uh, vorticity. So the circulation about the disc itself and the flow of the air that moves past it causes a force that determines its angular momentum. and this is attributed to something that's called the Magnus effect. And essentially, this is caused by one side of the disk perceiving a higher free stream velocity than the other, which causes a pressure gradient. So, you know, one side of the disk basically has, like, the the air going kind of over it. Uh, it it's interesting, like, again, this would be another point where it would be nice if we had graphics on a podcast. Yeah. But if you see charts of this, it shows you just how the air is kind of moving around the object itself. But for instance, here's an example. When you throw a Frisbee clockwise it tends to veer to the left right it's the same effect that causes a ping pong ball to travel along a curved path when a player puts a spin on it with their paddle you know like if you're you're real into ping pong and you uh-huh. know how to do the spin uh it's the whole. It's the same thing, essentially. So it allows it to to move in a particular direction. Now, some of us do this unintentionally, myself included. <laughs> this is, goes back to that dog toy I was talking about. Yeah, or also just you know uh, human and child toys. I, I feel like this
1: this effect of throwing a frisbee is one of the reason that many uh, uh, attempts to play with frisbees end like a few throws in because you're right. like, I threw the frisbee. It should be yeah. fun, but it's over there now.
3: Yep. Yeah. Right. Like that's inevitably, I'll throw it and it lands nowhere near the person who's supposed to catch it and they're just mm-hmm. like, come on, what are you doing? <laughs> um, now frisbees also use the disc's rim. And the top ridges on it to improve these effects. So, you know, remember like the molding on, on the frisbees we used as kids. They uh-huh. would have kind of like those, those, actually they're almost like serrations, right? Yeah. Um, but the chakram doesn't have these. The chakram is essentially flat. Now, in the case of the chakram, its shape allows it to hold a stable position for relatively long distances. Now, in fact, it is actually more efficient than a frisbee. Exactly like what Robert said. You can throw these things further and one thing that's key to these is the design of the chakram is designed to make it silent, too. Like, Ooh. you don't want people to hear this thing, necessarily. Yeah, the first thing they're going to hear are the screams of it cutting into your, <laughs> yeah. your
1: fellow soldiers. Or, right,
3: it's not like with Xena, where she does that, like, weird yelping howl oh, yeah, right yeah. before she throws it. <laughs> that yeah. Amazonian kind of uh, uh, war cry. Yeah. So,
1: th- to try and, uh, you know... Summarize and also maybe just add a, a, a little bit uh, more to our discussion of, of aerodynamics here. So the the, the Chakram aerobi design is going to minimize torque. Uh, it's going to fly straight without rolling, and it requires very little angle of attack and works with a near uh, horizontal throw. And as uh, Ralph D. Lorenz points out in that book, Spinning Flight, uh, which I definitely recommend for anyone who wants a deeper dive into all of this, he writes that the uh, Chakram, quote, exploits the stability of a spinning ring with the aerodynamic performance of a flat plate. Mm. So it circumvents the Frisbee or the flying disc's main aerodynamic problem, forward-center lift and the
3: resultant pitch-up moment with increased range. You know what? I just remembered another pop culture example It's not a chakram, it's more like a frisbee. Do you remember in the Dark Tower books they meet that tribe of women who throw plates, they're like steel plates, and they come up with this martial arts form where they throw them as uh, like cutting weapons. Is essentially. this book
1: three? Is this the
3: Wasteland? It, it's Wolves of the Collar. I think ah, is where it okay. shows up. Well, that one's yeah. more recent.
1: I can't believe it. Yeah, and then like Susanna bad.
3: learns how to uh, perfect this. There's this amazing drawing in the book of her in her wheelchair throwing a bunch of these at a wall, and they're all like sticking into the wall. I forgot uh-huh. all about that until just now. I remembered the flying death spheres. Uh, yeah, in that, but right. but not anything else. Huh.
1: Okay. Well, there's a, there's another example of a uh, flying discs. I do love it when they're they're utilized well. Uh, in a fictional property. But but more often than not, they're going to be Frisbee-shaped as opposed to Chakram-shaped. Yeah, it seems so. Now, we're talking about aerodynamics here. So I,
3: I imagine some people were wondering, well, how about uh, how about Chakram-based aircraft? Especially uh, given that we just recently talked about alien abduction for two episodes on the show, yeah, and yeah. most UFOs are reportedly disc-shaped.
1: Yeah, they're talking about spinning discs, and, and if, if you're into this sort of thing, there are those who... Who point back to a lot of different elements of the wonder weapons uh, utilized in Hindu mythology and say, "Oh, well, clearly this is a UFO, this oh. is a nuclear weapon, etc." It's interesting. I mean, I, I don't buy into it, but it's it's kind of a, a fun
3: exercise. That now, sounds like some uh, three eyed raven stuff, there. Yeah, <laughs> probably, yeah, probably so. Uh,
1: so I did some digging around, and while there are some wonderful examples of disc shaped aircraft designs there's not really anything in the way of a uh, true chakram style aircraft. So you have for instance there's the uh, the LRV, the lenticular reentry vehicle, which was a US Cold War era nuclear warhead delivery system that probably never actually flew and it it kind of looked like a flying saucer and that's one of the reasons that, that certain communities uh, are really into talking about them. Okay. But uh yeah, it, this particular aircraft may have not even Uh, Have flown and it certainly didn't spin around in circles. Okay, Um, other flying disc aircraft also looked similar to the Chakram, but uh, they basically relegated the center of the disc to engine or a cockpit, and in any event, these didn't spin either. You had the uh, the Avro Canada VC nine. Avrocar, which is a vertical takeoff design, uh, but there were thrust and stability problems with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, during World War II, the Luftwaffe had the SAC AS-6 prototype circular wing aircraft. And also during the Second World War, the U.S. Navy experimented with the uh, the Voigt, uh XF-5U, or Flying Flapjack, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which was a, a fun-looking design with, like, a circular wing array. Okay. But as it turns out, it didn't actually fly. It just kind of hopped, and therefore was uh, a, okay. a failure. There's actually a fun uh, thesis that I ran across from one uh, Chu uh, uh, Farhana Hassan, and he's a mechanical – is or was a mechanical engineering student at the National University of Singapore. Oh, hey. And he took inspiration from the Chakram in designing a drone and even built a functional prototype. Yeah. Uh, so I'll try and include a link to his website that has his thesis and a video of this uh, Chakram-based drone flying. But I think it's interesting because maybe we just haven't reached – the, the, the point in uh, in, techno- in technological achievement where we're going to have like functional Chakram flying vehicles or
3: flying yeah. uh, drones. Well, the way – okay. So I'm trying to think about it. Uh, and obviously, I'm not an engineer, so forgive me out there. But I'm trying to think about it from the perspective of designing something that flies like a chakram, but is stable enough for a pilot, right? Yeah. And I think the problem would be that your pilot would be getting spun around and would just completely, you know, be un- unable to pilot such a such a device if it was moving with that kind of spin. So you've got to find out a way to keep the center from spinning while the actual ship itself has these. Uh, I guess exterior halo discs that spin around that allows it to move. Huh. The closest thing that I can think of in one of the old, old, in one of the prequel Star Wars movies, I think didn't Obi-Wan Kenobi have like a spaceship that had like a, an exterior ring kind of thing. Oh, and then huh. like the actual pod was in the middle, but the rings didn't move around. They mm. didn't actually spin.
1: This is interesting. You know, I'm, I'm beginning to wonder, this might be a whole future episode for us, but you have all these accounts of alleged UFOs that yeah. were spinning. And certainly we've talked about the use of uh, of spinning uh, spacecraft as a, as a means of uh, potentially creating uh, a suitable amount of artificial gravity. Yeah, But I don't recall ever running across any arguments as to why a UFO would be spinning. Like what is it – is it somehow supposed to uh, – you know provide its
3: uh, its acceleration or yeah, yeah. is it maintaining an internal environment or is it just like the circular spinning disc is such a uh like pervasive symbol throughout yeah. it, uh, all cultures it's universal right that it's like it's pretty easy to ground yeah. that as like a ship design and yet again i can't really think other than like you know x-files spaceships or something like that i can't really think of any even fictional examples of this working
1: yeah, no, not offhand. But hey, maybe listeners out there can,
3: uh, can provide us with some examples. Yeah, totally. So if you want to write into us, tell us maybe something that you know about this fabulous weapon that we missed, or tell us, you know, some aerodynamics uh, information on how the disc shape could contribute to an actual flying vehicle, you can reach out to us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram, and in fact, we also have our Facebook discussion module right now, which is running hot. There yeah. are some great conversations going on in there. I want to thank everybody who's listening that is in there contributing. It's really turning into its own little community, people talking about stuff not even uh, necessarily related to the podcast, but our potential topics that we would talk about and having conversations uh, amongst themselves. Yeah, yeah. By all means,
1: jump in and join the the conversation there, and and do let us know if there are some any great chakram based fight sequences in films that we're just not aware of. Particularly, I, I know I'm I'm not that well versed in uh, in Hindi films, mm. uh, and I know there are some phenomenal action sequences that do pop up. Surely there uh, must be some kind of Bollywood film in which these are used. You'd think, yeah. Or or perhaps they've popped up uh, in Hong Kong cinema in, in yeah. just some entry that I'm not familiar with. Because there's so many different elaborate weapons, granted, m- most of which are, are based in, tra- in Chinese traditions. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you just need to add some spark to your fight sequences and
3: incorporate something new, right? That's right. It's true. And, hey, another way you can contact us the old-fashioned, simple way, reach out to us on email at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com.
2: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.
0: What are you waiting for?
1: Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild